2: Thank you.
1: Welcome to CrimeWire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to CrimeWire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire@gmail.com. at gmail.com. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host, Delilah Jones, and I welcome back Robert Swankowski, undersheriff of the United County New York Sheriff's Department. We're going to talk about identity theft and also what to do if you are suddenly involved in a crime in progress. Under Sheriff, thanks for coming back on the show.
2: Uh, Thank you very much, Denny. I appreciate being here. Uh, Let's start
1: out, if we could, with identity theft. Uh, Identity theft is a crime in which an imposter obtains key pieces of personal information, such as a Social Security number or a driver's license number, in order to impersonate someone else. The information can be used to obtain credit, merchandise, and services in the name of the victim or provide the thief with false credentials. In addition to running up debt, an imposter might provide false identification to police, creating a criminal record, or leaving outstanding arrest warrants for the person whose identity has been stolen. Undersheriff, please tell our listeners some of the ways identity thieves obtain a victim's information and what we can do to keep from becoming a victim.
2: Uh, Denny, that's going to be anywhere from someone actually uh, misplacing identification or identification being stolen, and that could be physically stolen, whether it's someone's wallet, purse, um, information taken from the mail. Um, It's also information that uh, some of these identity thefts get online. Um, Also, you receive, we talked about uh, in another show, the uh, scams that are out there You receive phone calls where people will solicit information from you stating, oh, it's regarding an outstanding loan, a car warranty, an IRS matter, whatever it is. Uh, One way or another, um, whether it's through electronic means, uh, the mail, uh, on the phone, or actually physically stealing stuff, there's just a number of ways that thieves are looking to get that uh, personal information. And it's it's not just your social security number, your date of birth, even your, your name. Um, address any other pertinent information that may help them, um, you know, gain uh, credit or uh, utilize some type of uh, monetary funds uh, with the access they have to your personal information.
1: And uh, as you mentioned in a previous show, we we talked about some of the scams and the online scams and so forth. And um, we... We discussed it on that show about when these people uh, contact a potential victim looking for information, uh, personal information, uh, if if common sense has to come into play, if you are the target, because if it looks too good to be true, if something doesn't sound right, uh, doesn't feel right, if supposedly your your financial institution is contacting you about a matter with your account and they the email comes across as dear sir or madam or that type of thing i mean they should have the information they shouldn't have to ask you for it and they should know who they're dealing with so it's as critical i think uh, you'll agree under sheriff that when when you're being targeted for one of these scams Uh, whether it's for an identity theft operation or uh, just a financial fraud, whatever it is, you've got to be very alert and, uh, you know, use a good judgment and don't rush into things. Think them over a little bit before you start giving out uh, information to people.
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, that's one of the best ways to avoid identity theft is have that preparation in mind, you know, that mindset that if someone is legitimately – trying to get a hold of you they already have all that information, um, you know, verifying sources that are, that are looking uh, for information, uh, making sure they're credible, you know, making sure it's necessary that you give out that information. I mean, simply asking, you know, why do you need my Social Security number? If you're just trying to identify, you know, people may say, oh, we're trying to verify who you are. I mean, again, if they're legitimate, um, you know, it's, mo- it's mostly only financial institutions that you maintain business with, or uh, someone you may have a loan through or something like that where they're going to need your entire Social Security number. And even then, most of them only ask for, like, your first three digits or your last four digits.
1: Yeah, and if uh, is there any advice for a person? Let's suppose that you get one of these phone calls or an email uh, asking you for information and and you – you do respond right away. Maybe it's the IRS thing threatening that they're going to audit you or something. If you don't respond and give them information and um, you do bite. And then afterward you start thinking, Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Something's fishy here. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Is there anything you can do at that point? Maybe, maybe should you contact your bank, for example, where you have your credit cards and just put them on alert or do you just wait and see if anything bad happens?
2: Sure. There's, there's about uh, a half a dozen different things that someone should do. And again, whether you willfully, accidentally, or unintentionally gave away this information or it was actually obtained through some other illegal means, um, the first thing to do is, is uh, you could put a fraud alert on your credit report. And if you just contact one of the three credit reporting agencies, whether it's Xperia, Equifax, or uh, TransUnion, they will notify the other two and it's basically a 90-day uh fraud alert so it doesn't uh it automatically declines any new requests for lines of credit or loans or things like that so it'll automatically um decline that so it basically um prevents creditors except ones you already have business with from accessing any of your credit reports um another, another thing Contact um, any of your uh, institutions or people, uh, banks that are directly affected. So if you know it's a certain, hey, it was my HSBC card that they got the information from or it was my auto loan or whatever it is, contact that um, individual entity itself and make sure they're aware that that has happened. Typically, you'll get issued new cards. They'll close that account. They'll um, open another account number. They have means to take care of that. Another thing you can do, you can contact the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, and just uh, do an identity theft affidavit. And in order to do that, you'll also need a police report, and that's that's my next suggestion. But basically the identity theft affidavit kind of puts you on a a list, and the FTC knows it kind of red flags when someone goes to use your information. Um, But to complete that report, you will need to file a police report, um, people may be discouraged on, on the limited amount um, that police can do in certain cases of identity theft because it may lead outside the country. However, we've been very successful um, and we're more and more successful as these crimes occur because sometimes they are local people that are that are doing this and we're able to gather enough intelligence through investigations and, and catch these people. But it's recommended at very minimum a, a police report that just states that um, whatever information or what, uh, that you've obtained that has been stolen or misused, that uh, that information that's prudent to your identity is uh, documented, that that was uh, somehow compromised. You want to protect your Social Security number if that's been compromised, and you can contact the uh, Social Security Administration. Their number is actually 1-800-269-0271. And I uh, identify they'll identify the fact that um, that has your uh, social security number has been compromised. And they make a record of that. Um, they make sure they monitor you know any, uh, if there's any tax fraud, people try to use your IRS uh, social security number to complete uh, tax returns, fraudulent tax returns, and get your money. And another option you could do if you know that happens is you can sign up for a credit monitoring service and basically they will notify you. It's, you pay a monthly or annual fee, and they notify you of any uh, activity at all on your credit report, anything pertinent to your current credit situation or anyone trying to file new things.
1: Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the credit reporting because, uh, and I'm, I'm not doing this to plug them, but I happen to have been with LifeLock for several years. I had an account for my wife and for, for me. And over the years, on two occasions, they have caught fraudulent activity right at the start. As soon as somebody tried to use a credit card um, that looked suspicious, they reported it. And we got everything straightened out with minimal damage.
2: And yeah, they're, they're so a great I, service. And, uh, again, you know, it's something that's optional. You mentioned LifeBlock, a, a co-worker of mine. Same thing. He got a phone call about a student loan. And he had a student loan, and he gave out a Social Security number, and he started thinking about it, that the company never identified themselves. And he, he did the same thing. He signed up for the LifeLock. Probably within three months, like you said, he got a notification that if there was someone tried to initiate a credit application it was it was denied. But uh, it's definitely a good service, and it's, it's something good to have out there. Like anything else, just make sure um, you look into the service, that it's a reputable service. Um, again, you're probably not going to get something for nothing, so it is going to uh, cost you
1: know, some type of, uh, fee. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like an insurance policy to some degree, I guess it's, you know, that there is a cost involved, but it can, can prevent, uh, from suffering major financial consequences if you don't have any protection. So I, I, I think, uh, at least in my opinion, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good investment. Um, you also mentioned that the, the identity thieves, um, you know, different places and agencies you can report the problems to, including a local police report, um and a federal agencies. I'm assuming if something was done through the US mail, uh you you also have a federal issue uh maybe using the mail as part of a fraud. Um and if stuff's done on the Internet. I mean, you can be involved, actually, with multiple jurisdictions, can't you? If you're a victim, you can have federal federal crimes, local crimes, Absolutely. and all kinds Absolutely. of stuff. I
2: Absolutely. Mean, you could be dealing with the Treasury Department. You could be dealing with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, um, you know, a, a myriad of different um, agencies. There's, there's actually a guide on uh, consumer.ftc.gov. That's consumer.ftc.gov. And that kind of walks you through everything that that I've talked about, some of the recommendations. But, yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. If if it happens, it's a lot of work um, to prevent some very serious things that could happen. So, you know, you don't really want to wait and say, gee, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, The best thing to do is take those preventative measures that might cost you, you know, uh, a few hundred dollars as compared to potentially thousands of dollars and then trying to repair credit reports and trying to dispute charges on um, the prevention part, you know, the quicker you act on it the better.
1: And you know, I somewhat uh, well, I guess now it's I can say it was humorous uh, to some degree, but uh several years ago back in the 90s, I was paying uh estimated taxes, quarterly estimated taxes to the IRS and I was still working at the time. I was working in security out in Las Vegas, and I had to be to work early in the morning. And we had a mailbox out in front of our place, and you just put the flag up, and the the, the post office would know that you had outgoing mail. So before daybreak, I, I would put my mail into the mailbox, put the flag up, and then go to work. Well, I got a notice one day from uh, uh, the IRS about my tax payment. I come to find out what happened was there was a crew or at least a couple of guys and they were going through the residential areas prior to dawn before daybreak, looking for mailboxes with flags up and they would open the mailboxes, take out the outgoing mail. In a lot of cases there'd be credit card payments. In my case, an IRS payment um, that were going out and they would steal these. And of course, open them up and they get your credit card information. uh, In my case, social security number and all that kind of stuff. And um, of all the things for them to steal was the IRS. Uh, But I ended up dealing with the postal inspector, with the IRS and with various, and and we got the thing resolved and the only, uh, and they also stole a credit card payment uh, outgoing and the only thing that went on the credit card was I got billed for $55 worth of fried chicken, a Kentucky fried chicken. <laughs> uh, uh, nothing, else, nothing else happened with that. But, again, I was very fortunate. And uh, I didn't know the credit. I didn't know this stuff was gone until I got the notices. So they had this information, whoever, you know, for for a while before it came sure. to my attention that there was even a problem. And, um, like I say, I, again, I was very fortunate. It could have been a heck of a lot worse. But, uh I know it does happen, and these these criminals that are out there. I mean, you know, nothing is sacred with them. They'll they'll do whatever it takes for them to get the information from you.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, what other ways? You know, we've talked a lot about electronic ways that they are able to steal your information. What other ways, like? is it true people really go through your trash so you should shred everything that has your name address anything on it um you know what are your feelings about that
2: yeah unfortunately uh, Delilah that's that it still happens i mean people do the old manual you know going through garbage uh, stealing people's mail i mean it's a lot easier to steal someone's mail than go go through the trash but still they'll do that um especially where they in areas um that there may be an affluent area or um a high population area uh, you know maybe a a business uh depending on people work in banking industry some um financial industry things like that you know there's there's a number of ways that that people try to well pretty much any way they can try to uh, gain information um there's you know there's people that on uh public transit you know stand up over people's shoulders and and um monitor what they're doing on their tablets and their phones and things like that so just any possible way that they can gain information from people these people do it i know there was one atm scan where people would actually leave a phone near an atm and it would basically be capturing information from people's transactions and it you know (laughs) We started to get in the habit of of looking around the ATM to make sure someone wasn't leaving some electronic device around trying to record um, transactions for uh, information.
0: So How easy got to t- do something like like that. I mean, I I know I've seen reports on news stories and stuff of this type of, the, you know, gathering up the pings and, and the sounds and all of that. I mean, maybe I'm just, I'm not with it too techno- technologically. So it's hard for me to understand just how all of this process can happen.
2: I know I watched one show where they had a gentleman who could basically read people putting in, whether it was uh, like pin numbers, onto the, just the way the person was moving their hands and where on the electronic device, the guy could actually read uh, with probably about a 90% certainty what the information people were putting in. So, again, some some of these people, they're not clowns. They're professionals at what they do. There's, You know, the, the crime industry has professionals in it, and they, they know what they're doing. They, they try to circumvent, you know, any um, – detection, you know, as well as know their rights. And, you know, they're very good at what they do.
1: That's a good point, Undersheriff. These people, like you say, are not clowns. Uh, I wish some of them apparently were very talented and very intelligent, and it's too bad they don't apply themselves to to legitimate uh, projects. They probably could do a lot of good, you know, because they seem to have quite a bit on the ball but they choose uh you know to go the other way with their uh with their abilities but uh yeah you can't take these people for granted and think you're dealing with uh you know with a bunch of idiots you're these people are very sharp a lot of them at least are very very sharp
2: absolutely absolutely you know there's times that even like so the FBI other agencies will uh you know employ or work out uh, conditions with people that have committed crimes that have skills in, you know, uh, hacking and and gaining personal information or or other fraudulent uh, methods of things, and and they'll use them uh, to investigate other crimes.
1: And I guess who better to to use than people who have done it, and especially if they've been overall successful at it. I I remember when I... uh, first started going to Las Vegas I did a little research and they said that uh, the so-called eye in the sky and all this stuff of course now it's all cameras I guess for primarily but they used to have their people walking above the uh, you know the ceilings and the catwalks up there watching the tables and so forth and they were, they were hiring card cheats they'd catch uh, these people cheating at cards and they were pretty proficient at it and they'd hire them to use their sure. expertise on how the cheat goes down to uh, to monitor the games and and catch other cheaters. So um, yeah, I, I guess if you're going to hire someone to uh, to do that kind of thing, you you want to get the best and probably a successful cheater or scammer or whatever it is you're trying to do is is maybe the way to go. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I. Before we move on to the next topic, is there any, uh, just to kind of sum up, is there any message uh, that you'd like to leave uh, with the listeners uh, regarding identity theft?
2: Um, I think like most things we talk about, and even even when we move on to our next subject, um, prevention. You know, prevention's is the, the key to everything. Um, trying to minimize, you know, the number of credit and debit cards you use. You know, minimize... Um, how open your information is, minimize to what extent you use um, services online and things like that. Technology offers us a lot of convenience, but sometimes we get a little complacent and we put too much out there. I mean, do you really have to monitor 16 different um, credit accounts and banking accounts online or have access to them? you know, is it easier just to uh, maintain that, that paper trail, the, the statements you get from the bank and things like that? You know, there's there's good levels of security, but, you know, people need to keep in mind that everything you put, you know, online, the Internet was not designed to be secure. The World Wide Web was not. And that's why we're putting so much money and in effort into security features in, into it now. Um, you know, mail, just simple as, you know, tearing up, the mail, you know, you don't necessarily have to, to shred it, but at, at very minimum, you know, tearing it up when you're throwing it out. You know, just making sure that uh, you're not giving access to things, you know, such as personal information, not leaving purses and wallets around. So anything from that, you know, the physical ability for stuff to, to, uh, for people to take stuff, the ability for them to see it where it's in plain view, and the avail- uh, uh, availability of any potential uh, technological, you know, uh, phishing scams or uh, access that people may get.
1: Okay. Now I'd like to move on to something. We've been talking uh, about crimes that are, don't necessarily involve physical safety. We're talking about the frauds and things that can be very damaging. Uh, They can you know, if you're a victim of identity theft and so forth, you can lose a lot of money. You can have to go through uh, an awful lot of grief and aggravation to restore your credit and, and so forth. But uh, next I'd like to talk about where your physical safety may be in jeopardy. And, and what I'm thinking about is, uh, well, let's suppose you're, you're driving home at night from somewhere. You're stopping at a traffic light and uh all of a sudden, a couple of thugs come up to to carjack you, or you're you pull into your driveway and you notice maybe that something isn't the way it should be, for example, if it's like maybe you see what looks like a flashlight beam uh through your window or uh a, a strange car that shouldn't be there is parked in the you know in the vicinity of your place um, when when these types of things happen and uh, if you handle them the wrong way uh, and you walk into a burglary in progress or uh, something like that, uh, it actually can affect your physical safety. So I'd like to talk a little bit about those types of situations and what you should do if you walk into uh, or encounter a situation like that, is there a time to uh, to flee? Should you should you flee? Should you call nine one one? Should you investigate yourself? And if worst comes to worst, are there is there ever a situation where you really should fight? I know sometimes you're told, well, comply and everything will be fine. You know, you might lose your wallet or whatever, but but you'll live. But is there ever a case of maybe there's indicators from your assailant? that that isn't going to work and that maybe your only chance is to try to to fight for your own survival. So undersherf could you take us through some scenarios of uh, of what a, a person might encounter or be drawn into where their physical safety could be in jeopardy and uh, and what they should do uh, obviously every situation is different the you know but in general terms uh, uh what is the best chance you to escape and get out of the situation in one piece?
2: Sure. So I'm going to walk through some basics as far as we when we use terminology because there's a lot of confusion between burglary and robbery sometimes. Um, burglary is when someone remains or enters into a, a home or a, a uh, building unlawfully with the intent to commit a crime therein. So, to give you an example, you could have someone that was in your house that you asked to leave, and then they struck you. That would be considered burglary, just as well as someone breaking into your house to steal your jewelry. That is also burglary. So burglary, in the, in the sense, people always think it has to do something with stealing. It's actually someone remaining or entering unlawfully into a, a building or a home, and then with the intent... To commit a crime therein, in so they don't even have to commit it they just have the intent to do it now robbery is basically that just sum it up uh, layman's terms it's forcible stealing where someone is grabbing that purse off of you or you know holding you at gunpoint or knife point or the threat of you know just take whether it's property or money so that's that's the difference really between the two um surely any of them are dangerous situations um the the My recommendation, again, running into something like this, if you can get out of that situation, it is probably the most feasible and and, and safe thing to do is, is, you know, escaping somehow or fleeing and always notifying 911 when when you're in that situation once you're in a safe area away from there. Um, In a burglary situation, whether, you know, if you're home and you think someone's trying to uh, break in your home, one of the first things if you can, calling 911, even if you can't say anything, now with the technology, um, 911 can locate you, whether it's through a cell phone, GPS or your landline, they'll know the exact location that's occurring. Even if you leave the line open, they will send police there. Um, you know second is basically as a deterrent for someone breaking in because there's a difference between people that are burglarizing places and like home invasions. Um, burglars, statistically, they avoid violence and they avoid people and they do a lot of homework to make sure they're avoiding, um, people when they're trying to commit their crimes. You know, simply turning the lights on, um, can, uh, you know, make someone avoid, you know, continuing to break in the house and things like that. Again, you know, every situation is different. Um, you have the option in, um... In New York State, the, the law regarding use of force is Section 35 of New York State Penal Law, and that talks about the use of deadly force and deadly physical force. Um, I mention that now because when you're in your home, if you're ever going to use any type of force out in public, your first obligation is to retreat until you can't retreat anymore. So if you don't have the option to retreat, then you're then you're allowed, authorized to use force. In your home, you don't have to retreat. Not even if you're assailed by someone from within the house, so with it was a family member or someone with you're in your own home, you're not obligated to retreat and I'll talk a little bit more about um, the use of force down the road, but that again, it becomes an option if you feel you need to defend yourself in any circumstances where you're in your house. Now, if you come across a burglary where you're going home and you happen to get in your home and you think someone's in there, again, the recommendation is to get out of the home, um, you know, go to a neighbor's house, get in your car and leave, and, again, call 911. Let the police respond to someone occupying your home. Now, if you see signs of your door is kicked open, a window is broken open, maybe even something's not forced open, but it's, it, it doesn't look right like how you left it, don't go in the house, call the police, let them do what they refer to as a building search. Make sure your, your home is free from any intruders. Again, they have the equipment um, and the training to go in and, and uh, encounter and, and look for people in those cases. So that kind of covers the, the burglary part of it. Um, the robbery, the carjacking, they're pretty similar. They're, they're much more violent. People are a little more brazen when they do things like this. Um, they either, you know, sometimes they're not armed, sometimes they portray to be armed, and certainly there are times when they are armed. Again, You know, it is your right to defend yourself, Someone's stealing something from you. Yes, the recommendation is if they're going to take your purse, if they're going to steal your car, the least restrictive uh, method is, you know, let them take what you want, preserve your life and your safety. Um, You know, however, again, going back to Article 35 and and whatever laws regulate in other states the use of force, you do have the right to to protect yourself, um, you know, from harm. Whether it's physical force or deadly physical force, um, and meet that force at that level if you're if you're unable to retreat. And again, in any of those circumstances, uh, I can't stress enough to contact 911 as soon as possible. Um, the best thing to do in any case where you encounter someone committing a crime against you, you know, be a good witness, get as much description, you know, whether it's, um, you know the gender of the person, um, the, the skin tone, the age, the size, the weight, height, any any descriptors, clothing, tattoos, things like that, that, that can readily identify someone that has committed that crime. Um, so that that's kind of some scenarios that you could run across, you know, between the, the burglary, the robbery, the carjacking, that type of thing. And I don't know if you want to get into uh, actual, you know, use of force at this time.
1: Um. I I do want to. Uh, you just mentioned about how important it is to get information uh about what you've seen, uh so that you can relay that to the authorities and hopefully um, get an arrest if warranted. Uh, about what I used to recommend, we uh, several years ago we were having problems on our street. There was uh, some burglaries and, and larcenies from vehicles and so forth, and. I suggested it wasn't a formal neighborhood watch, but some of the neighbors got together to discuss the problem. And we realized that, uh, you know, that you can tell the police or the police obviously are aware if you're reporting these crimes that a certain area may be um, having issues. But the reality is that we just don't have enough law enforcement to have a patrol officer car stationed at every intersection or every block. So uh, I think the citizen has to take some responsibility to help in the law enforcement effort. And we decided uh, in our little neighbor meeting that everyone should have a notepad, put it somewhere handy with a pencil or pen. And anytime they saw something suspicious uh, for example, maybe a strange vehicle. Like I guess it was a neighborhood. You know, a lot of times you know pretty much who's there and who's who you should see there. And if you saw a strange vehicle you would write down the date, the time and uh a license plate number if at all possible or a description of the vehicle, description of an occupant if you could get it. <laughs> and you wouldn't, necess- wouldn't necessarily have to call 911 right at that moment you could if you wanted to report a suspicious person but at least if the information was was there and let's say a week later somebody said oh I've been burglarized and the police are investigating looking for possible suspect information you at least would have a record with the date time and and so forth written down and at that point you could pass your information along um under sure do you think that type of thing is a good idea should you know should people uh, take these things seriously enough to want to actually build a record or keep some kind of a record and not trust everything to memory sure
2: absolutely yep. they're, they're phenomenal ideas um you know that's it's it's the public who helps us catch people most of the time in burglaries you know it's your neighbor that that uh, says, hey, you know I, know, I know, you know, Bill and Susan are away, and uh, someone's at their house that I don't recognize. You know, people are hesitant to call 911 sometimes, and then there's, that's that's our job. Our job is to investigate things. If it turns out that it's not a crime, that's great. But it, but at least at minimum, you know, we're we're trying. That's part of prevention is you know we go to things and it's it's not a criminal act, but that's that's okay. You know, you're not wasting our time by contacting 911. Um, we've gotten, you know, from any any types of criminal activity, we get a lot of information from the public. You know, that's part of the, the, the community policing cooperation, um, and basically that's the whole premise behind what we do. You know, while everyone's at, at work and away and things like that, the police are there to monitor things, and sometimes we still need the help of the public, you know, and it's it's crucial. that. People do pay attention to what's going on, and that you know you do have some good relationships with other people in the community, so you can look out for each other. So it's, it's very important, <laughs> and that's very valid information that we get that you described.
1: Um, the the other uh, thing you mentioned about the use of, uh, of force and and up to and including deadly physical force, um, I remember it wasn't too long ago one of the. Uh, incidents from Florida that drew a lot of attention was the Trayvon Martin thing, the George Zimmerman um, shooting. Uh, And there was a a lot of talk in that, and in other cases about when was especially uh, a a citizen, a private citizen, um, able to use the deadly physical force. And there are certain things, I believe, and maybe you could share them with us that you definitely don't want to do that would definitely not qualify as uh, as self-defense or, or the justifiable use of force. I'm, I'm thinking about the, uh, you know, you, you hear a noise out in your garage, you, your homeowner, you grab your handgun and you go out to investigate some kids there, uh, I don't know, browsing around. I'm trying to get some cans to take back to the store to get the deposit, he goes running out, and you chase him down the street and shoot him a couple of times in the back. I mean, that's barely obvious. But uh, there are certain times when, when you just can't pull out the gun and start blazing away. So could you give us some of those that, that definitely would get you in serious trouble if you did them?
2: Yeah, Denny, in general, in most um, use of force laws throughout the country are, are pretty much, the same, if not similar. It's just where they extend. You talked about Florida. Florida extends that castle doctrine or that we talk about where you don't have to retreat in your home. They extend it to your car. Some states extend it to your workplace. You should be familiarizing what state you're in. In New York, it's simply your home that where you do not have to retreat. Um, it's important to know, know that portion of the law. Typically, they're not long or extensive So it really behooves people to uh, take a look at your use of force laws, your justification of that use of force, and understand it thoroughly. I I can't say a person being in one situation or another, um, one may use force, one may not, one may use deadly physical force, one may use physical force. The law pretty much clearly defines it that if you believe the threat is actual or imminent, And by actual, so let's use physical force for an example. If I'm kicking you, it's an actual use of physical force. I'm actually kicking you. If I rise my hand above my head and tell you I'm going to punch you, you don't have to wait to be punched to understand that physical force may be used against you. That is an imminent act of, of physical force. You believe that I'm going to punch you. Um, and the same applies with deadly physical force. If someone's... Using deadly physical force against you, stabbing you, or someone pulls out a gun, you don't have to wait for them to shoot. You have to believe that that threat is imminent. So it's up to, and that's why the law is designed like it is. It's up to the individual. There's cases where a, you know, 300 pound, six foot four man attacks a 98 pound, five foot one woman, and and starts punching her. Now, to her, that could be deadly physical force, and she may, if, say, armed with a handgun, take that handgun out and shoot the person because she believes if she continues to be hit by this person, she's gonna die. Where someone with more equal stature to him, they may just consider that a physical force altercation. So the law is really designed for with the specific um, situation each person may be in, in mind with how they may deal with it. Now, you talk about the obvious ones, you know, someone's pounding on your door in the middle of the night. And you shoot through the door, you're, you're probably going to need an attorney the next day. Um, you know, <laughs> kids are in your garage and you shoot into your, your your garage because, you know, some kids are rifling through your garage. There's, there's uh, you know, some, some things that are very blatantly obvious where if you use force and you can't articulate that you were afraid that you were defending yourself from physical force or deadly <laughs> physical force being against you or a third party, you're going to have an issue. You're, you're certainly going to have a legal issue. And that applies the same thing to police. You know, our force has to be authorized in accordance with the law. Our force has to be necessary. We need to do that. And we can't, one of the key things, with, with as with everyone, we can't be reckless. So even if we're in a mall and uh, someone, you know, pulls out a knife and starts running at me but there's 13 people behind them, I have to be careful and make sure I know that if I used my firearm I wasn't going to hit anyone else because if I did, that's reckless. I'm still responsible for that. So there's, there's certainly some, some key things that you want to ensure when you're using force, and that is, is that there is an act that is actual or that is imminent, which you think is certainly going to happen. That is going to determine if you're going to use force and then what type of force being used against you. Do you believe, hey, I, I'm going to incur a physical injury, Potentially, or you are, or is it to the rise to the level of deadly physical force?
1: So threat realistic, a realistic threat or what can be perceived by the victim, uh, potential victim, is really critical Then it. It's got to be there and it's got to be where a reasonable person could perceive the event or perceive the activity going on as an actual threat. Or imminent threat to their safety and well-being.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And that, that's where you hear the story, like if you're at your house, you know, and you shoot someone and they're outside, drag them back in. We don't, we don't ever <laughs> want to do that. You're messing with a crime scene. It, it's not where or how it happens. It's the elements of what is happening and what you perceive. Again, someone broke into the house late at night. Three kids are upstairs. Mom's home alone. She gets a shotgun. She, she, she yells out, leave leave and the person doesn't leave and she shoots them, if she articulated, I wasn't through for my life, that person killing me and then going and killing my children, you know, that would, that would be the justification that, that the, the law would be looking for. And again, you know, people shouldn't think it's, it's a pass, hey, you, you know, um, let me give you an example. In, in 2010, in an AT&T store in a village in New York Mills where I was a police chief and working. A man came in. He shot one of the employees. There happened to be an off-duty police officer there. He shot and killed the uh, shooter. And uh, when we, after you know, we responded, um, we actually you know determined it was an off-duty police officer that shot him. Um, he still was subject to go to grand jury, meaning they would have to look at and see if if that force was justified, and that could happen to anyone. You could you still may have a process to go through that. The criminal justice system is going to say, "Hey, we have to see if that force is justified." So that just being a police officer, if that was a civilian in that same situation, they would be um, subject to the same, you know, uh, scrutiny or evaluation. So, you know, a DA's office may send you or a prosecutor's office to grand jury to make sure that. You know, it's perceived that you did follow the letter of the law, and that you know they understand that yes, you perceived the threat, and that you acted accordingly. So, it's it, it's it's still very important to to understand the elements of that.
1: And if if anybody uh, has questions, like like you mentioned earlier, you, you really need to understand what the law is in your particular area regarding the use of force and deadly force. Um, it would be a, a good thing and, and I know uh, in some cases there are uh, courses that are run that would explain uh, well firearm safety and and, and the laws and uh, I'm sure that people could find uh, even online the guidelines in their particular area for the use of force and, and deadly force
2: sure absolutely absolutely all, all those things you mentioned are out there whether it's private training classes um the law itself, public information um you know law, law enforcement has educational awareness seminars here and there i mean it's just it's it's definitely something especially um the way things are to just understand what it's another right that you have you know you, you no one has um uh, no one is going to be should be placed in the position of being a victim and, and the United States Supreme Court has held that time and time again that you know, uh, people do not have to be victims of crimes. They have a right to defend themselves. So it's it's certainly something that, you know, people should take seriously and at least have an understanding of uh, if ever confronted with that situation and hopefully not, that at least they know what they are allowed to do by law.
1: Um, before we run out of time, I'd like to very quickly cover one last uh, type of incident and that would be what uh, we we read about periodically is road rage uh and s- sometimes the situations almost would seem comical on the surface because they seem so petty uh and yet they end up with people dead um if in a perfect world we would all be able to control our tempers and we'd never have any altercations however that isn't uh, this is not a perfect world so there are times when we will encounter a person on the road uh, driving and that person will do something or we think they have done something that uh, was stupid or discourteous or what have you, uh, perhaps cut in front of us without a signal light or that type of thing, uh, pass too close. Um, and fingers, you know, the, the, the one finger salutes fly back and forth and then pretty soon somebody pulls over. Uh, if you're involved in a, a road rage situation where somebody's flipping you off, maybe they think you were the culprit that, you, that you've that cut in too soon or whatever, and uh, they become kind of unglued over it, what is the best thing for you to do? Uh, obviously, probably the worst thing is to pull over and challenge the other driver you know to get out sure. of the car and and face up. So, what would what would be the best thing to do if you've reached the point where you maybe you've done something wrong or the other driver thinks you did and 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 wants to confront you, how should you resolve the situation? What's the best way?
2: Um, as long as you haven't been in an accident, if you've been in any type of collision, you need to stop, immediately notify 911 if if the person is Threatening or swearing, or stay in your vehicle, keep the doors locked. Um, if they become a, a very abhorrent threat, I, I would then, you know, at least get a distance away from the area. But you know, you're not obligated to get out of your vehicle and, and engage the other person. You can wait for law enforcement to arrive. Um, if you haven't been in a collision, avoid the confrontation altogether. Be the better person. Understand that people have been harmed and even killed in road rage situations. Um, it, it's you know, it's certainly unnecessary, and it's it's just, um, you know, it, it's very tragic that something that minute would, would get people, you know, hurt or even killed. You know, drive away. If the person's following you and you feel you're a threat, they're a threat, again, call 911. That's an emergency situation. Um, I would definitely, you know, get the description of the vehicle, the occupants of the car, the, the uh, license plate if you can and let them know, you know, that the person is following you, you feel they're a threat for some reason or another. Even if you made a mistake, people make mistakes. That is what it is. Um, You know, uh, again, you know, the goal to being on the roadway is to being on it safe. Um, We should all understand that people at times make legitimate mistakes, and sometimes they make some blatant, um, stupid mistakes. Um, But at the end of the day, it's no reason or you won't be justified Getting into a physical altercation with someone and in the case same thing with the accidents um, you know if, if a police officer articulates That someone is is involved in a road rage incident on an accident report uh, That could be detrimental even to your insurance in certain in certain cases So it's something to avoid altogether and uh, you know notifying the police in cases like that would would certainly be necessary
1: Excellent advice, Undersheriff. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. We'll have to wrap it up here. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being here again today and educating us on how to keep from becoming victims and what to do if we find ourselves in the middle of a crime in progress or an emotional bad situation. And uh, I hope you'll come back on the show again sometime because you're certainly a wealth of information, and uh, we really enjoy talking with you.
2: Absolutely. Again, uh, Donnie, Delilah, I really appreciate what you guys do and, and getting the word out on, uh, you know, educating the public about public safety. That's uh, it's extremely important. And um, whatever you need from me, I'll be around. Thank you.
1: You're welcome, Under Sheriff. And thanks also to our listeners. And until the next time, stay safe and don't forget to join us on the next edition of CrimeWire.
0: And this is my impression of a politician. I believe in the people and their cars and Progressive and the fact that you, yes, you can plug in Snapshot to save even more money for being a good driver. I also believe in Sasquatch, but more as a joke, but also kind of seriously. Safe drivers save with Snapshot from Progressive. I approve of this message, and Sasquatch, if you are real, you can totally be my running mate. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Snapshot not available in all states. Hello, and this is my impression of a drill instructor directing a musical (whistles) get those tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands are you bundling your home and auto insurance through progressive can you hear me through those sequence bundle your home and auto through progressive and save left 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 and step no change Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Lucky.